Hey everybody, welcome back to the Journey of Life podcast. My name is Will Bissett and I'm your host. Um, today is going to just be a revision of the ALS Timeline Part 2 episode. Um, like I had mentioned on social media, I uh, when my friends and I were doing our, our uh, last podcast, I accidentally... Um, over, like, went over the information from the previous original ALS timeline part two, and therefore deleting all of it. And, um, if any of you had listened to the timeline part two after, uh, this past Monday or Tuesday, it would have ended up being me and Steven talking rather than the actual timeline. So, apologize for that. Um, If you had heard the ALS timeline part two prior to the beginning of this week, you heard the correct one. Um, So I'm just going to kind of rehash out the second part of the timeline again. Uh, Unfortunately, I couldn't retrieve the old information, so I'm just going to kind of redo it. Um, Obviously, if if you know you guys had listened to the the correct one prior to this past Monday or Tuesday, you do, you don't need to feel like you need to listen to this one because it's essentially the same thing you know that you've already heard. Um, so yeah, without further ado, I'll kind of just jump right into you know we'll do the second part of the timeline and then. Next week, we'll kind of really pick up with, uh, you know, where we were supposed to be with kind of the interventions and stuff like that. So, leaving off with the back surgery from part one timeline, I had the lumbar fusion at L5-S1. And, uh, you know, initially, I still felt like I couldn't pick my right foot up much better. But I was trying to be hopeful and thinking that maybe this would just take time. The nerve needs time to heal. There's inflammation, etc. So, you know, I had three months off of work uh, due to lifting restrictions and, you know, all those sorts of things. So I pretty much was off from March till June, beginning of June of work. So... During that time, I really just tried to really just tried to relax and take it easy and try to let myself heal, do some light exercises, all those sorts of things that you would either you would do following a surgery in any capacity. I. I was still concerned just um, in terms of my overall walking and just at that time, you know, I was having the other abnormal things like some of the weird abnormal reflexes and um, some, you know, I started worrying that my, the tightness or inability or difficulty to pick my foot up wasn't just like a nerve-related impingement issue. It was, I started reading and thinking more about 
something we call spasticity. Now, I've thrown that word out before. It's kind of a big word. And, you know, people that are in the health or medical-related field probably know what it is listening to this podcast. But I'll explain spasticity is... It's a sort of tightness that's not like your traditional, like, oh, my hamstring's tight, I gotta stretch it out, and it'll feel better. Spasticity's a result of damage to some part of your nerve network going from storing your, in your brain or going down to your spinal cord. Um, that pathway from brain to spinal cord. If something there is damaged, deteriorating, inflamed, whatever, you know, to whatever the case may be, you, the brain is, has an inability to send the proper message from, you know, where the, the, the motor cortex in the front part of the brain to the spinal cord, that, that connection gets messed up. And when that's not working properly, you then therefore the nerves in your, you know, the nerves in the spinal cord don't know how to respond or interpret the information properly. So you kind of get this, your legs kind of get stuck in a constant state of tightness per se. Now the thing with spasticity, it's not just simply tightness. It's one hallmark thing you can do to differentiate it from you know, other things is it's velocity dependent. So that means the quicker or faster you try to move, let's just say for me in my example, I was noticing this for a while, the quicker you try to move your right leg, um, you know, when I would try to do things like jog in place or, you know, attempt to try to run or do something like that, like my leg would just seize up and lock up and not literally I could was inability to to do those those things because it would just this that spasticity that tightness would just kick in more so and would just leave my leg being just completely like you know just having a near inability to move and if that when that happens and I would try to do something that would usually result in a fall because I literally cannot move my right right leg quick enough to have like a stepping response. You know, if you're normally you're gonna like leaning towards your right too much, you'll you'll step with your right leg or leaning back, you'll step back with your leg to kind of catch yourself, you know, for a you know, typical person, but in my situation, um, I was losing the ability to do that because that involves a quick movement and that spasticity effect does not allow for that. So I started really worrying that that was starting to become more of my problem or was my problem rather than me, you know, just being a, my nerve compressed in my spine because the, the nerve compression in the spine would not cause um, things like the spasticity I've been talking about. That usually means it's more from the brain or the, you know, the upper part of your nervous system, so to speak. If you guys, I, I don't, like I said, I don't want to get into a full blown out lecture regarding all this. 
But if anyone has any more in-depth questions regarding the anatomy or physiology, I'd be happy to go over any of that with you. I just, you know, I don't want to sit here and talk about the nerve pathways for 20 minutes because, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's not really the point of this and it's not necessary for you guys to understand. I'm just trying to lay out the framework, you know, in layman's terms best I can. So in addition to that specificity, you know, I really started noticing, and I had been noticing already, you know, prior to the surgery, I was starting to get some more of these uh, twitches. Now, fancy name for that, and again, kind of another hallmark sign of ALS is the term is called fasciculations, which is literally a fancy name for uh like muscle twitching, but uh, but uncontrollable continuous muscle twitching uh, that you usually may not be able to see visibly all the time or even necessarily feel if it's not that intense. But uh, believe me, but <laughs> I am, at this point I I feel it all the time. But even back then I was starting to become more noticeable. Um, you know what I'm saying this, and everyone. <laughs> Everyone listening to this like the, to this podcast right now is gonna be freaking out every time they have a little twitch and or look in the mirror in their eye or their mouth twitches and they'll think they have ALS. <laughs> you don't have ALS. That's twitches here and there are totally normal and common, and stress or caffeine will certainly uh, can certainly cause that. So. Do not panic and do not go into alarm mode when I, you know, talk about these things. Um, one more thing real quick I forgot to mention with spasticity is uh, stress also makes it, makes it worse. So um, stress, when I'd be around people that, you know, that hadn't seen me for a while or if I was in an area where I knew people were just really watching me, I would, my legs would often, my walking would often get even worse because... When I would really get nervous or stressed, that spasticity would increase as well with my legs, causing more of my walking gait dysfunction and those sorts of things. So that was a very challenging component to deal with, with that constantly throughout my day. Um, going back to now the fasciculation twitching component, like I said, I had noticed prior to the surgery, but it was starting to become more pronounced. And I remember being my left bicep initially, being the area of concern. Um, it would just kind of twitch, and sometimes it would, it would, sometimes it would not. But it seemed to be becoming more and more prominent, and more and more often, especially when I would talk about it or think about it or get stressed or nervous, thinking I have ALS or something more serious, and it would get worse. <laughs> So, um, that was certainly concerning for me. And again, I was, I didn't really know how to process all that. I was still trying to convince myself, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's benign fasciculation, fasciculation syndrome or too much coffee because I drink a lot of coffee or I'm just stressed. And, you know, I was trying to just downplay it or, rationalize it through other means just to convince myself still I was just dealing with this back issue and recovery. Sadly to say that was not the case as you guys know. Um, so you know I, 
as things continued on after the surgery, you know, in the, let's see, March 3rd, April, April, May, you know, we're certainly was getting out, walking more with the dog, with the dog. Uh, we had bought, a, we got our second dog, Archie, uh, later in April. So I, I was kind of left, you know, trying to handle two dogs and one being a little puppy and trying to get him out to get to the bathroom. And the two dogs would kind of roughhouse and play, you know, fight, not in a bad way, but just, you know, roughhouse. And our one dog, Fletcher, was much bigger, so it would always be a concern that he would hurt hurt our pup, you know, our puppy Archie at the time. So trying to, like, be careful and mindful of that and, you know, it was definitely kind of a stressful event that I probably didn't need to, it was unnecessarily put on myself. I mean, I remember my wife and I talked about it, like, should we get the second dog? And I, I was the one that was like, yeah, let's do it. Because I figured, you know, we, we were talking about it anyway. We wanted we wanted our first dog to have a friend. And I was like, well, this is going to force me to get better and do more. You know, so let's let's get the second dog, and I, I'm home from surgery right now, so I have more time with it. That all sounds good in theory, but and, and of course, I you know I'm I'm, you know I love our second dog Archie and you know both of our dogs so much, and I mean I, I'm so glad we have both of them, but I just I'm just saying at the time. I think just all that added stress kind of just exacerbated certain things with my condition. Um, I was, at the time, I was still able to even walk them both. I mean, it was very challenging and stressful, and they weren't trained well at all with that at the time. So I was constantly twisting and turning, and like every so often they would fight on their walks, and you know then. I, I, it's amazing. I think back that I was able to handle and do all that as compared to where I am now, um, because the fact that I could still do that is just mind-boggling to me when I think of where I'm at at this point. But anyway, so you know, I was trying to bounce, juggle that, and you know, I, I again, being the being you know being who I am as we all are we search things up in the internet all the time you know I was reading about a whole bunch of stuff oh uh, what you know ALS MS like what kind of conditions present with what I mean I already knew the answer to most of those questions anyway but I guess I would kind of like to validate or not validate a certain concern I had and it would just stress me out and you know the more and more I read you know, the more and more it sounded like it was some serious neurological condition rather than just my back, unfortunately. So, you know, I was still walking. I mean, my walking wasn't great. I it felt like at almost at one point my walking was a little bit better. I think maybe I was just placeboing myself or I was just getting out and moving because once I started walking, it would loosen up. Still, um, I was going to the gym. I was going to Planet Fitness, even though I wasn't supposed to lift more than like 10, 15 pounds. <laughs> I would, st I would, you know, I I went to Planet Fitness and I'd use the machines. I mean, you know, I kind of I knew what I was doing and I wasn't going to do anything stupid, but I wanted to kind of push myself some. So I'd use a lot of machines. I'd use the elliptical a lot, and that would help me in my movement. Um, 
But all that being said, with my concerns of things continuing to not, continuing to not really, see, really seemingly get any better, and um, I'm still falling a heck of a lot. I I made an appointment with the neurologist, which I don't know if I had mentioned this previously. I I had tried to see a neurologist back last the fall before in 2022. Of course, I did it without having a referral from a doctor, and they were like, "Oh, well, you need you need that." And of course, you know, me being in the field, I'm like, "Listen, can we just bypass this crap?" Like, I know I need to see a neurologist. Like, I. They're like, well, what do you have going on? Like, we need specific words. I'm like, oh, specific? So I started saying, like, gait dysfunction, um, you know, reflexes. I started saying things that they probably, the, the secretary, whoever on the other end, had no idea what I was even saying. And they're just looking at a sheet of paper that's going to tell them that, that I should or shouldn't be seen. So at the time, they were like, oh, well, since you're seeing a neuro neurosurgeon, like, we're going to let them handle that. And that was the individual who just told me I didn't need back surgery. So that was all back in October 2022 anyway. So, but this time I called for neurology. I, I did get a referral from my PCP. So I messaged them in the portal. I told, uh, you know, I told uh, over the phone, they are scheduling the appointment, all the things I had going on. And they got me in pretty quick because... <laughs> I was throwing out some words that, you know, kind of initiated a quick response. So the neurologist that I saw was really nice. She came actually came in on her day off and, you know, definitely was a little concerned with what she was saying with me. And we, you know, I was kind of hashing it out with her, you know, talking about everything medical and you know, going over reflexes. I mean, pretty much... Because, you know, she, everything she was doing on her exam, I already knew and knew what she was doing and knew what she was testing for. I could tell her if it was going to be positive or negative. You know, at the time, she didn't see any of the fasciculations in my bicep and my strength was still pretty good and I wasn't, really wasn't atrophying anywhere. So she was thinking less of, that it was ALS and thought more it was like MS or cervical or some other sort of just sporadic specificity um but she ordered like uh the head and head and neck mri um and also ordered an emg ncv test which the emg is it's something that just kind of looks at your muscle activation of muscle activity and uh, that's kind of something that kind of helps to roll in or out something like als so I got those tests done. Uh, let me tell you, the EMG is not a fun test to get. <laughs> For any of you listening that have had one before or may get one, um, they pretty much have to stab, put a bunch of needles in, into your muscles in order to kind of listen, um, you, know, ultras, you know, either ultrasound, what have you, or well, it's more just the EMG, they're listening for sounds of muscle activation and how it's contracting and it's not the most pleasant test in the world and she sp she did nearly all my muscles including my tongue and it took over an hour because of my kind of complexity you know she was expecting not to find anything 
Unfortunately, however, you know, she had found some things on my left, again, on my left side, my left bicep, my left hand and forearm uh, that kind of indicated potential nerve, uh, nerve-related degeneration, which was essentially means is when, when I, you know, she would have me lie still and not contract any muscles and she'd stick, stick this needle in and my muscles would still be contracting, which was essentially what those fasciculations are. Um, and that's not something you want to see. You would, you want to see muscles being completely quiet and relaxed and not, not doing any contraction if, if you're not willingly, you know, not voluntarily contracting it on your own. Mine, however, was doing it automatically, which was a sign of concern for her, as it was for me, and, you know. So she she saw that, um, and then we, uh, you know, we did the brain and the neck MRIs a few weeks later. Uh, unfortunately, well, you'd, you'd think they both came back negative, meaning, oh, that, that people would be like, oh, that's great, they're negative. Like, no, that's actually not a good thing. <laughs> you would, I would have rather have had them found something on one of those, um, but the, ne the neck was clear. There wasn't any major compression on my spinal cord up in my neck region. And my brain MRI was also negative in terms of there was nothing like a tumor or something they often look for are uh, white-related scarring or plaques throughout different portions of the, the ventricles of the brain, which that usually indicates things like um, MS, multiple uh, sclerosis. However, they did not really see any of that on my imaging, which, again, is, was not was not a good was not good news because that ruled both of those conditions out that are that are have a better prognosis outcome than unfortunately the alternative would being ALS and ALS is what we call a diagnosis of exclusion which means if you rule out everything else you know and you it's kind of and that's probably but an ALS is the only thing that's left and it's probably likely ALS and that was kind of um, that was kind of my, my case. It also was further validated with that abnormal EMG test, what I was talking about with the, the knee, putting the needles in my muscles and the muscles were contracting when they weren't supposed to be. So um, I had read the impressions of the imaging before I even had my follow-up with this neurologist. So unfortunately I kind of knew the news was not, was not good. Uh, like I said during the Emory uh, podcast episode, I I had the follow-up appointment with her on Thursday during the week that Emory was alive and still doing well. So I remember, you know, having that discussion with her and her pretty much saying that it's likely more degenerative in nature, you know, not straight up saying it's ALS, but indirectly implying that it's probably ALS <laughs> so and it wasn't news to me I, I pretty much had already come to that conclusion so 
Um, she was she wanted to refer me to her mentor who she used to work with who's like a a guru on this stuff and he was down in Hershey and I saw him in July so you know in July when I saw him it pretty much went through all the same tests and everything and it was all pretty much just confirmed that I officially had ALS July 13th of 2023. Um, again, there, I was not surprised. I was pretty much just kind of numb at that point to everything. I, I didn't really, I wasn't like in shock or crying or whatever. I mean, as many people probably would be that or don't even understand the, the gravity of this situation, knowing how bad of a disease this is. But I, and I mean, I knew all that. And I just kind of sat there and was just like, well, I mean, what am I, what am I going to do? I mean, I got to figure a lot of stuff out. So that's, you know, I was kind of where I was at. And, um, you know, you know, during that summer, you know, we, with the loss of Emery, we, you know, I was trying to comfort my wife and be there for her as much as possible and trying to just get through all that, which was just such a traumatic, horrendous experience. And I kind of think I just put my problems on hold a little bit and because I felt like I just really needed to be there for my wife and be supportive to her. And, you know, I tried to do everything I could to take the load off of her and I was able to do more back then relative to where I am now obviously um so you know as the summer as summer kind of continued to go on it again things just kind of continued to gradually worsen I mean it wasn't it wasn't significantly worsening yet but it was again walking was just still much of a struggle I remember I was still tripping and falling a decent amount or if the dogs the dogs pulled me too quick I'd, I'd fall forward on my face uh, you know it was happening just some days I'd be able to go a couple of days and it wouldn't happen at all and then other days it would happen like four or five times in, in, in one day so um, but I could still get myself up without you know, needing anything, or I didn't have an assistive device. I would literally just lunge myself up from, you know, from ground to standing and was okay. Um, so things kind of took a, a little bit more of a drastic, significant turn for the worse uh, mid to late August of, of that year, of that summer, 2023. For whatever reason, and I and I don't know why, because nothing else, there was no other significant stressful traumatic event that happened during that time per se. So I don't know, but whatever reason, that's when things kind of definitely took a little bit more of a turn for the worse. Um, I remember I think it's such I had such a string of falls walking the dog one day. I cut my face all up. You know, it was just so. I mean, I literally just, I already, I felt like I wanted wanted to die. I was just so disgusted. And I mean, how demeaning and embarrassing and just horrible. It's like a 30, well, at the time, 31-year-old 
you know, seemingly looking healthy and whatever, and then I'm doing that, I'm falling. I'm, I mean, it was just so degrading to me personally. I mean, I don't care what other people think of me, but just for me personally and my dignity and like how I've always viewed myself and just being just brought down and humbled to that point where, I mean, I really, I could, I could start to get to the point where I couldn't walk the dogs anymore because I was just, I was not stable enough. And um, I mean, that made, made me feel like I was just a useless piece of trash completely. And it's just so sick. And, um, you know, I, I remember just being so disgusted and hating myself for it. And just, it was just, I mean, just so horrific. Um, I remember, you know, my hands started getting more affected at that time too. Um, they weren't really that much of an issue, but you know, things like writing and, you know, buttoning things and zippers and typing, texting, stuff like that was starting to become a little bit more difficult. Opening my hands was starting to become a little more difficult. One of the first places I remember noticing a little atrophy was actually when my space between my right thumb and index finger and that muscle bulk. Um, when you look at your hand on the back part of your hand, I started getting some flattening there. And, you know, those are all the muscles that are in charge of you know, anything related to pinching, grasping, writing, I mean, that's not, that, that's an area that, you know, you really need. And then, of course, I'm starting to lose strength and active nerve activation in that area more so. So just, yeah, things are just kind of, just really kind of got a bit worse during that August time frame. I remember I... I finally got to the point where I very, very, very reluctantly had to buy some sort of assistive device. So I figured I'd go with a a walking, hiking stick to start. Um, you know, I thought, well, it doesn't look like a cane. You know, it's it's less. It doesn't. It let let. It just you know you see people with walking sticks. I'm like, oh, let's just try that. You know, so I used that for a little bit and felt comfortable. Um, but I really was, it got to the point where, you know, early September, I pretty much was, couldn't walk the dogs anymore myself. I remember I, I got back from work one day and, you know, I was able to get each of them around them. I got to the point where I could, I could still walk them, but I could only take one at a time versus both. And I would walk, walk them around just one block and if I could do that without falling, that was a huge accomplishment. And I remember in early September, I was able to do each of them around the block one time without falling once. And I remember how how just relieved and how accomplished I felt with something so freaking meager and simple for you know any average person who doesn't even think of that it's to me i felt like oh my god like wow i can't believe i could i could do that um you know that i was able to do that and that was that was probably the last good walk i had with them you know each of them by themselves because soon after that i tried a couple more times and i uh, 
especially our little one Archie would pull more and I got I I, I must have one time one time I felt like four or five times just trying to walk, walk him around the block and I was still able to get myself up without anything because God if I wouldn't have been able to do that then I mean I would have been in serious trouble so but you know I was before I was even using the hiking stick but I got the hiking stick I used that for a little bit but I would I would just got to the point where I kind of walk along with my wife and she would walk both dogs and I would kind of just slowly tag along behind as my walking speed was really starting to slow down and I was starting to get more hesitant with my stepping in general just because I was afraid I'd, I won't be able to pull my right leg fast through fast enough or I would catch my toes or um, you know, whatever, I'd, I'd just, I'd fall, and I was just starting to get more, it's a vicious cycle, you, because you get, it just gets in your head psychologically that you're going to fall again and again and again, and then you don't want to go out and walk or try things, but then you, then you're sitting inside all day, it just becomes just, I mean, this, the psychological toll it takes on you is just, it's, it's, it's out, it's beyond outrageous, I, I can't even put in words, but, you know, and again, this is all happening to me as a 31-year-old, and I'm just like, I am beyond, I mean, I am beyond disgusted. I am beyond sick with myself, and I'm just, that I was somebody that was so active, so strong, so athletic, felt like I could do anything, felt like I could protect my family, protect anybody, you know, I, I, that I, all, I just everything, you know about that and then now it's just all being taken away from me and um the worst part is you know i tell people this you know not not and i'm certainly not i mean something like dementia or memory loss is absolutely horrific and and just and just as bad as this in different ways but you know i almost and sometimes i almost think it almost be better if i had the loss, I mean, my mental, I wasn't mentally aware of what was going on um, because the fact that I knew all the, I was too aware, you know, I, I was very knowledgeable and, you know, as a PT, physical therapist and just as researching all this and knowing what, knowing what occurs and watching myself just deteriorate over, over months and then just being completely aware and cognizant of that and not being able to do a damn thing to stop it is just, I mean, it, it's, it, it kills you. It really kills you. It breaks, breaks you down mentally, physically. I mean, it just, it's just, it's unmerciful from what, what this disease does to you and the toll it takes. Um, but anyway, so... September, October, you know, I, I, I remember I had to buy a Keen at one point. Uh, I think I bought like a, a single point Keen or something or quad Keen. Um, just because I felt like I needed a little bit more stability. Um, but I was getting to the point where I, you know, I need to use the Keen initially, but then I could lift the key up and kind of just hold it as like a security blanket or, you know, for my sake, just for anxiety. I could still, still take steps, you know, albeit a bit, bit slower, but I was still functionally able to walk at a 
at, you know, at a slow pace, but a functional pace, I should say. Um, so and then uh, I'm going to get into this more, the, you know, upcoming podcast episodes, but we went to Mexico in the second week in October. Uh, for, to, for, I was, I ended up getting some stem cells down at a place that's, you know, right across the border. And uh, I remember I was still able to use the single point cane down there. And, you know, I, I would able to be able to kind of start to carry it and walk without needing it, needing to actually use it like you would use a cane. So, um, and then we also, in September, I remember we went to Ocean City, New Jersey, and uh, I was still able to walk in the sand. And I just... I can't even imagine. I can't even fathom doing that now, because I would, I would, I would just, I would fall, I would fall instantly, just absolutely instantly with that. Um, so just seeing things that I was able to do even a month or two before, and then suddenly being like, "Wow, I, I don't think I could do that now," or like, even walking out my backyard in the grass, you know, or picking up dog poop. Or, or whatever I was doing, it was just like, suddenly I'm like, wow, I don't feel comfortable. I feel like I'm going to just lose my balance and fall. And that would start to also panic all the time. And anytime I was in like an open area without anything nearby to like grab, grab a hold of or get myself up with, like when I'm in the house, so usually there's things nearby, but like when I go outside or you know, wherever, in any open space, even a big open space in the house, I'd start getting, like, agoraphobic. I would just be fearful of open spaces, and I'd start to think, my mind would start to make me think I'm going to fall, and my legs would lock up more because of the stress. And it was just, I mean, just, just, just a living hell, complete living hell, just day in, day out. And unfortunately, it just keeps getting worse. Like, it's, you think that, okay, like, if this is as bad as it's going to get, I can still manage. And, like, <laughs> no, it will, it will continue, it will get worse. Like, you'll, you'll lose more. It will just, it will just keep getting worse. Um, so I got back from Mexico in October. And then I remember I really started. And then it started getting colder, and I started going out less and less. And I think I got more and more anxious about going out, walking in general. And, you know, at, at that point, I had, uh, right before I went down to Mexico, I had stopped working uh, first week in October. Um, I didn't really get into this at all. But, you know, work, I worked from, like, when I came back from surgery in early June up through October, and God, that was just getting outrageously difficult as well. Um, you know, I was doing traveling, home health, physical therapy, so I'd be going from house to house. Often, you know, they promised they promise that they'd keep me close, but I'd end up driving out like an hour plus to see one person. And then, you know, like I, like I had said, Sitting in a car, prolonged positions of sitting or standing would just be so detrimental to me. And when I would get out of the car, I could barely move. And that just continued to get worse. And I felt like the job was just 
exacerbating it and making it worse more so. And I remember I, would, I, I was afraid that they would, the people from work would see me and be like, wow, he's still not doing good after a surgery. And I worry that I'd like lose my job or something. So I, I would really go out of my way to kind of avoid seeing anybody I knew from work. Um, you know, we, I mean, really, it's you don't see people that often at home health therapy, but we were supposed to have meetings every like week, and I'd rarely go, and because I just I I didn't want people to see that I was really not doing well. Like I don't think people had any idea how poorly I was already functioning at that point, and they continued sitting, and you know the the work it would work was just make continuing to make it worse. Um. So yeah, and then I started, I always had patients asking me and I would always just lie and be like, oh, I just had back surgery because you'd only see the people for one or two weeks. So you could just keep using that story. And, you know, I, I was starting to get to the point where my walking and my balance was worse than 80 to 90% of the patients I was seeing. And the, for God's sakes, a lot of these people are like 65 years old plus. And they were moving a hell of a lot better than me. And it's like, wow, like that really puts things in perspective. And then they'd be like wondering like, oh, are you already like, can you can you do this job? And, and I, I can't blame them for thinking that, worrying about that. And, you know, I had a couple of times where I almost fell or did kind of fall outside of people's houses or whatever. And. Suddenly, you know, a couple of patients started calling my manager and, you know, it kind of got to the point where we had to kind of come to an agreement that I think, you know, it was maybe time to just to resign from my position just because it, it was the, the physical progression of this disease was just making me completely unable to do this job. And now, like I said, I was walking worse than most, literally almost all the patients I had. I mean, it was, it got that bad. And I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I stopped right before I went to Mexico uh, in early October. So back, you know, back to after the, after the Mexico trip, I mean, yeah, walking just, unfortunately, I was trying to, you know, I was trying to do a whole bunch of exercises and do things and, you know, following the stem cells. My walking just seemed to continue to get worse. And I don't know how much of it was it that it was, my disease was truly progressing or I was just sucking myself out and psychologically making it worse because I would be freaking out anytime I'd go out and walk at all or the weather being that it was getting colder made it worse, or a combination of all of it, who freaking knows at this point. Um, but it was just getting to the point where, you know, just like sitting on a chair or the couch and I'd get up and I, and I could barely move and needed like a minute to just get my legs to kind of wake up a little bit and I'd have to like lean forward because if I stood up, stood up too quick on my heels, I would just fall right back on, on my back and on my butt. Um, you know, that started happening more. I started kind of grasping or bracing on furniture or walls more so. 
even in the house. Um, I remember I had to, very reluctantly, I bought, I bought a quad cane, but then I had to buy a rolling walker because I had a couple appointments in Philadelphia. And I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I just don't think I can do this without like a walker, even though I really didn't want to use one at all. And, um, so I had a, a rolling walker. I then had a, a very good friend who works at the school I went to. She got me a, a Hemi walker, which is, like I said, it's, you know, it's more of a one-sided device. You know, I, I try to use that pretty much when I go out. Even if I'm a little slower with it. Excuse me. Even if I'm a little slower with it, um, I prefer to use that because it still makes me work and I can stand up a little straighter now that I have a higher one. But yeah, I, I mean, it's it just, I kind of just got to the point where I wasn't really going out much at all, um, bare minimum, because it was just starting to be too much effort to do literally almost anything. And um, like I said, the psychological toll that takes on you is just so, so significant and just so, just so suppressive. And, uh, you know, I, where I'm at now, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just so sad. And again, I, I don't want, as I've said, I don't want these podcasts to just be fully depressing. And I, you know, I certainly don't want to, everything about these podcasts to just be like that. But I'm again, the story, the story is completely true. Everything I'm telling you guys is completely true. And, you know, I'm, in my typical day now, I'm usually getting up and often crawling to, to the bathroom and pulling myself up at the sink because I usually really have to like pee or, you know, I really have to go to the bathroom and I, and, but I can't stand up because my legs are like, when I first wake up now in the morning, my, my legs are like, they're like complete jello. They're, they're pretty much useless. And I just, I can't put any weight on my heels or I'll fall backwards or, and my arms get so, are so tired and weak, I can barely some days get myself off. Like if I was laying on the floor to sleep, like I always have to worry, can I even get myself up to my hands and knees? Because there's been days, unfortunately, where I have not been able to. And, that, and that's such a scary, uh, just, I mean, that situation, those are the situations where I'm just like, I just want to be dead. Like this, this is... Uh, this is not livable. I mean, I, I can't live like this. I mean, those are the things I would I would think, and I'd say out a lot of times to people too, and I mean, I, I, I mean them, I, mean, I really mean them because, you know, it's it, the fact that you're losing the ability to do almost anything is just, it's, I mean, I, I cannot, it's just unfathomable, and I cannot even describe to you guys listening what, which is how horrific and what, you know, the toll it takes on you. I, you know, I, I have to crawl to the bathroom and rush to the toilet and, you know, I have to, like, be bracing and leaning on things and 
keeping my weight forward because if I stand up straight too quick, I'll fall backwards. And I've fallen backwards multiple times. I've, I've pulled out, um, I've pulled off shower curtains and towel racks out of the wall and toilet paper holders. And so I've had like, I've put a couple holes in the wall and just, I mean, just, it's ridiculous. Like, and it's all for me just like falling. Like, and it's, I get so enraged myself and so angry. And it's like, I, I mean, I, it's just, you know, then, and then, you know, even doing things like, again, with my hands, my hands have gotten so bad now. I mean, I pretty much can't use any, any real tools. You know, I used to be able to do stuff around the house easily, you know, put things up on the wall, use a drill, screwdriver, whatever. And now it's like, my father-in-law or a friend will, or my brother will come over and do it. And it's like, that's also just so demeaning to me because, I mean, that was stuff that I could do no problem before. And now it's like, I can't. Like, my, my hands are just, I don't have the strength in my arms to hold it or the steadiness and my hands just shake. And, um, you know, I can't really, I can't really type on a computer anymore at all because my fingers are too tight that they'll, I, I can't extend my fingers. Texting is very difficult. I usually just do voice to text because, I mean, I can text, but it's just, it's, it's just much more difficult. You know, over the past month or so, I've been really struggling too with my posture. Um, you know, I, you know, being a physical therapist, I've always been all about posture and having great posture and having great scapular muscles to stabilize and keep my keep my you know good back muscles to keep my posture in good shape and balanced and you know it's this whole disease this the, the way my the way the damage in my brain is and it wants to pull me pull me down constantly so I'm my head's always getting shifted forward and my back like starts to round and I have to constantly be trying to correct that and I'm straining my neck so much to try to keep my head up. And it just, you know, it, it makes me sick to my stomach when I'm walking around with my head hanging low. And I mean, I'm like, what, well, like, this is just, it, it take like I've said, this disease takes literally everything from you. I mean, I was talking to my friend friend Steven, you know, we that the one that was just on for the podcast and uh his sister, we went out to dinner the other night and, you know, I was telling him that, you know, this disease eventually, you know, if if you let it keep going, you know, and it keeps progressing, it's you're to the point where you're in a will you're completely you literally can't use use anything. You're in a power wheelchair you uh, can't eat, you can't speak. Uh, you're pretty much, if you want to communicate, you have a voice box that you control with your eyes because for whatever reason, the ocular eye muscles are one of the few few muscles that ALS does not seem to affect. So it's about, if you let it get to, the, get to that point and are willing to let it get to that point, you know, you're pretty much left with just moving your eyes and being completely helpless and useless in every other aspect. So and this disease is merciless. It's, it's beyond cruel. I mean, I've had days where 
I'll, I'll fall and then I'll get up and I'll immediately fall again or I'm trying to get to the bathroom and I really have to go and and then I'll just, you know, I fall and I can't get myself up in the morning. Some My muscles are too tired and not awake yet. I mean, it is, you know, I've, it's just, it's, it's, it's beyond cruel and it's, it's unbearable so many times. Um, you know, I just, I, it takes everything in my, in my willpower to try to continue to stay positive and continue to try to, you know, do things to try to help counter and fight this, which I'm going to get into with you guys next episode. But it's just been, it's an oppressive, heinous disease. And I mean, it literally takes everything from you. You know, I I tell people, you know, I, like I said, I was the strongest person in the world out there, but I was, I was pretty pretty darn strong, pretty darn athletic. Felt like I could I could take anyone on. I could protect my family, protect all my loved ones. I, you know, I could do whatever I needed needed to do, and I prided myself on that. You know, I growing up, my my self esteem wasn't wasn't great. Um, but one of the few things I always felt proud of myself for was like my my physique and how I um, physically looked and my muscle build and all that stuff and how I took care of myself. So, you know, I could, I could, at one point I could bench over 350 pounds. I could, I could squat and deadlift over 500 pounds. I could clean and jerk 250 pounds plus, you know, s- snatching 175 to 200 pounds. I mean, I, I'm doing CrossFit, doing Spartan races, Doing everything, you know, I, you know, and I love that. I was, in my, you know, and I, I would always be like, I'm gonna keep getting better in my thirties. I'm, I'm gonna try to get to some of these things, you know, break some of these records, do more, do a half marathon, just physically challenge myself any way possible because I, I, I love that. So that was my biggest outlet, my complete biggest outlet, and and then this just, then this hits you, and within. Going from my first symptoms, May, June of 2022. So less than two years ago, going from all of that to now where I am now, where I can barely even walk half a block and where every step I take, I'm afraid I'm going to fall. And I try to turn and I can barely turn so I'm afraid I'm going to fall. I mean, I'm crawling to the bathroom. I mean, I'm just trying to paint you, paint the... The perspective, just paint the picture in your head for all of you guys, just of what, what I've gone through with this crap. And I mean, just, I'm going to get into also just, you know, in addition to the interventions, some potential causes and, you know, shed some light there with some things being not not so good that have probably contributed to this. Uh, this disease in the first place, or at least I speculate that it has, because no one really knows how you get this. There's no one one thing that causes this disease to happen in the first place, unless you have like the genetic version, well, that makes a little bit more sense. But yeah, I mean, I'm just again just think about think about that, and I I I think I, I am trying to remember. <laughs> I think the first time when I did this this episode, um, 
that I, I did last week before I got deleted by accident. Um, I remember, I think I just ended by saying, you know, I want you guys, people listening to this, I mean, this is as cliched as all these things are, go out and live your best life, do everything. Take it from me. I mean, look at my example of what happened, what has happened to me. Go out, you know, take that trip, do that activity, marry that person, you know, break up with that person if you're not happy, you know, do whatever it is you want to do that you're, you know, like, don't put it off. Don't wait on things. Don't put it off another year. Don't put it off even another month. If you can organize it and do it, like, go do it because you don't, you don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know what next month brings next year. Nothing's guaranteed. You know, like I said to Stephen, when we talked, you're not even your next breath is guaranteed. I mean, as simple and as like, no one even thinks of something, something like that. But I mean, and I and I didn't really as much either. I mean, I I feel like I was always appreciative, very appreciative of things, and I did want to make the most of every opportunity. But this disease has opened a whole new, whole new perspective and a whole new level of it to me now. I mean, go out and do whatever it is you want to do, guys. Don't don't wait on it because you don't know what tomorrow brings. And live live your best lives. Go out go out and change the world for the better. You know, leave leave a legacy, leave a, a positive legacy, a positive impact behind. Help others. I mean, God, I mean it's again, cliche is you know, you've heard those hear those things a million times, but take it from me. I mean, they mean everything. I mean there's all those little things, all those little precious moments mean everything. Cherish them, you know, take them in and just, you know, live your best lives. That's all, I mean, that's literally what it comes down to after all this. And that's what it's all about. So I think with that all being said, I'm going to wrap up this revision uh, episode of ALS Timeline Part 2. Again, this, I'm doing this essentially for the people that didn't hear it the first time. Um, if you certainly can have listened through again if you wanted, but it's pretty much, I hashed out pretty much all the same stuff I said the first time doing it. Um, so next next week, we should be back on track with everything and you know, no more blips hopefully with these podcast episodes. <laughs> I'll make sure I'm very careful with that, but when I kind of get into, you know, more of the intervention stuff finally, which is going to probably take several episodes to go through. Um, so we'll, we'll leave it at that for today, everybody, but wish you all the best. Remember, just, just live your best lives. Go out there and do whatever it is you want to do because life is precious. Life is special. And, and you got you got to you got to live your best life while you can. So that all being said, thank you all for listening today. Thank you for your support, your love, all all your kind words. I appreciate all of you so much. And um, looking forward to talking to you guys again next week. All right, everybody, enjoy the rest of your day and your weekend. Goodbye for now.